What's up, everybody? Welcome to my not-so-humble opinion. Today, I'm going to talk about the deadliest ideology in the world. Now, there are people out there who have several guesses as to what that is. People say Nazism is the, de the deadliest ideology in the world. There are those who say Communism is the deadliest ideology in the world. There are also those who say Islam is the deadliest ideology in the world. And pretty much, they're all wrong, alright? Belief in any form of government, period, is the deadliest ideology in the world. Well, the upwards of 100 million, maybe 200 million people were killed by their own governments in the 20th century alone. Listen, all governments are fucked up, they're all corrupt, they're all incompetent, and they're all immoral to varying degrees, okay? Now, my anarchist and slash libertarian tendencies are really going to come out during the, uh, during the course of this episode, so... The anarcho-capitalists and libertarians listening to this might really like what I'm about to say here uh, throughout, uh, throughout this episode. So let me start off with some facts and statistics for you guys, alright? I'm going to start off with Nazi Germany. Now the popular figure out there is that Hitler killed 6 million Jews, but in total, Hitler killed, there are estimates that, that put Hitler's uh, kill count at 20 million people. And that's not just Jews, this including homosexuals, gypsies, you know, a very wide range of people, very wide spectrum of people. Now, I'm going to address neo-Nazis and anti-Semites for a minute. Alright, especially those who unironically believe in the term Judeo-Bolshevism, okay? So, Karl Marx was anti-Semitic. That's the first thing you mouth-breathing, knuckle-dragging neo-Nazis need to realize, okay? I'm sure, I don't think any of you have read, um... I don't think any of you have read On the Jewish Question by Karl Marx, okay? Karl Marx was deeply anti-Semitic. Now, in terms of the Bolshevik Revolution, the Russian Revolution, uh, there are people, there, you know, these same people claim that, oh, the Bolshevik Revolution was started by Jews and funded by Jews and all sorts of, all sorts of ridiculous claims like that, okay? Um... Within the Soviet Union, there was, especially within the Soviet government, and more particularly under Stalin, there was plenty of anti-Semitism. Uh, anti-Semitism in Russia and Eastern Europe is a deep is a deep issue. It, 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 I'm not even saying all Russians or Eastern Europeans or even most of them are anti-Semitic, but it's a very it's a significant cultural phenomenon that dates back centuries. Okay, anti-Semitism is a huge thing in Russia and Eastern Europe. Now I'm going to address capitalism briefly. There are those who say capitalism is a Jewish invention and the Jews are buying capitalism. Like, uh, nope, and you're wrong again. Capitalism is actually a European invention. And to be more specific, it's a Northwestern European invention. What we know as capitalism today came out of Northwestern Europe. Alright? Now, these people also claim that most of the quote-unquote white slave owners in the American South before the Civil War were, were Jews, right? That's not true either. A very small number of Jews in the American South during this time owned a very small number of, sla of black African slaves, okay? So, again, like any, like any other extremist ideology, these people are, you know, these people are just, you know, out there and they're just not based in listen they're not they're not based in they're not based in reality now listen i know the term extremist is one of these things that's just thrown around nowadays thrown around to just describe things you don't like and frankly both sides of the political spectrum do it but seriously like 
listen, if you're an open national socialist, like, yeah, you're pretty out there, okay? Anyway, so, on the topic of national socialism, Hitler was also an economic illiterate. Now, I'm going to get to the people who claim that national socialism is a leftist ideology in a minute. I'm going to, you know, criticize those people, but... Hitler did plenty of things to quote-unquote empower big business and support big business. And then he did other things, you know, to use Marxist terms. He did other other things to, um, you know, support the proletariat, look out for the working class and, you know, the uh, the lower classes in society. So... Nazi economic policy is actually a mixed bag. Like it, 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 like it's an, you can't really, you can't really put it on the left or the right of the economic spectrum. Spectrum, to be honest. Now, on that topic, and I see this a lot with you know, you know, modern day American conservatives, and you know, well, to a lesser extent Europeans, but this is especially true for American conservatives. Now, there are those who claim that national socialism is a leftist ideology, and that um. And you know because and that communism and national socialism are just two sides of the same coin. Yeah, that's not entirely true. Now they're both authoritarian ideologies, yes, and I despise them both. I am very anti-Nazi and anti-communist, but they're not totally the same thing. Um, a lot of leftists nowadays, and you know this is this is true for Western leftists. I don't really notice this. Notice this for. You know, left-wing people in you know, like China or Russia or uh, Vietnam. You know, former, former, former people in former or current communist countries are very, like, they're all about you know equality for the LGBT community and trans rights and you know, um, very socially, socially uh, liberal, right? But in a lot of, but in you know, Russia, China, Vietnam, a lot of the people over there are pretty socially conservative and. Um, nationalistic. Um, they're actually like I know in China at one point, Ma uh, Chairman Mao actually criminalized homosexuality, and it was viewed as bourgeois degeneracy. And this, I believe, this is also the case in the Soviet Union because I know under Stalin, homosexuality was decriminalized or was criminalized, and the quote-unquote traditional family was promoted. But um, national. National Socialism is a extremely nationalistic and economically centrist ideology because, again, if you look at Nazi economic policy, they did thing they did quote unquote right they had quote unquote right wing economic policies and they had left wing economic policies to you know to put it in plain and simple terms. So there, you know, an actual National Socialist will say that National Socialism is a radical centrist ideology, and I'm kind of inclined to agree. It's a authoritarian centrist, it's a, well, totalitarian maybe, but it's a totalitarian centrist ideology, not a, it's not a left-wing ideology, but anyway, back to communism. So, there, I've seen estimates claiming that Stalin killed around 20 million people. And I'm going to talk about the Holodomor for a minute. The Holodomor, for those who don't know, was the death, was the uh, the starvation and death of approximately 6 to 10 million Ukrainians. I'm probably getting the number wrong here. Uh, somebody in the comments can probably, you know, enlighten me on what, on, you know, enlighten me on the exact figures. But millions of Ukrainians were starved out 
in the ni- in the early 1930s under Stalin. And there are people who claim that you know it wasn't a genocide, and technically under United Nations under the United Nations de- definition of genocide, technically it wasn't. But there was one author who claimed that you know the Soviet that you know Soviet delegates to the United Nations actually when they were determining the definition of genocide, they actually went in and tried to exclude the killing, or tried to exclude political killings and killings based on class from the definition of genocide. The, uh, the name of the author escapes me right now, but the uh, you guys can go look it up for yourself. Um, again, don't, don't just take my word for these things. Go look, go look these things up for yourself. Fact check me, all right? And if I'm wrong, I'll admit I'll admit to being wrong. But anyway, to me, I'm this this opinion here. This is subjective. To me, this just sounds like a distinction without a difference. Um, lots of people were killed, or millions of Ukrainians were killed because of Stalin's policies. Okay, he may have set out to directly to kill them, but it was because of his policies that these things happened. So it just sounds like a distinction without a difference, in my opinion. But. Anyway, um, Chairman Mao, during the Great Leap Forward, is estimated, there are estimates that claim that Mao killed about 45 million people. Uh, Pol Pot in Cambodia, there are estimates that claim that um, about 1 million, 2 million people were killed in Cambodia, but, I mean, that may not sound like a whole lot compared to, you know, some of the other guys I just mentioned, but... In terms of like the Cambodian population and the percentage of the Cambodian population, that was anywhere between 13% to 30% of Cambodia's entire population from 1975 to 1979 when Pol Pot was in charge, alright? Now, I'm going to address quote-unquote democratic socialists, you know, basically you know, soft communists, that's what I like to call them, it really, democratic socialism, communism, it's all the same shit to me, it really doesn't make much of a difference, there's not really much of a difference, but, anyway, I'm going to enlighten you guys on, you know, some, enlighten you guys here, so, you guys love to go on about how greedy rich people are, and how greedy the 1% is, and all this, but, I'm sure y'all probably don't know that rich people actually pay most of the taxes here in the United States, they pay their fair share, to use your terminology. The rich pay their fair share, okay? The rich, the rich, do more than the rich pay more than enough, okay? And also another fun fact for you: for you, the wealthy here in the United States donate the most to charity. The people within you know the top tax brackets here in the United States donate the most money to charity, compared to people in you know the the um. In the lower tax brackets. I'm sure either out of ignorance y'all didn't know this or, you know, you just decide to conveniently ignore it. I don't know. And since we're on the topic of economics, I'm going to get to capitalism. Now, people, uh, there's a meme out there. I'm sure you guys have seen the anime meme of, you know, the dude with the butterfly. And, you know, it says, is this X or is this Y? I saw one that's that said, uh, the dude, uh, the the caption said, or the um, the words um, Marxist or Democratic Socialist was right next to the dude, and then over the butterfly it said capitalism, or or no, over the butterfly it said any kind of um, minor hardship or inconvenience, and then it said, is this capitalism? That's like, per- people blame capitalism for like 
capitalism is one of the great scapegoats of the 21st century. People blame capitalism for everything. Like, any kind of minor inconvenience or hardship that people go through is capitalism's fault. And people say capitalism's unfair, it's inhumane, all kinds of other stuff. Listen, capitalism is very fair. Capitalism is very humane, alright? If anything, government coercion is unfair and inhumane more than anything else. Listen, capitalism's all about choice. Capitalism is all about, you know, voluntary association and, you know, voluntary, um... And voluntarism, basically. True capitalism, anyway. So, let's look at China, for example. Communist China. Now, you could argue that that China today... And I, I, this is this is something I, I kind of agree with. But, you could argue that China today is, is under a hybrid system. Like, there's... There, you know, there's some capitalist elements in the Chinese economy. But a lot of... But much of it is still under state control. Okay? But after the death of Chairman Mao... Um, there was a program of economic liberalization in China. And liberalization in this sense, because I know, I mean, liberal means different things to different people, you know, depending on where you are and what time period you're talking about. But in this sense, economic liberalization just means, you know, uh, you know, more free markets, uh, free trade, things like that. But hundreds of millions of people were lifted out of poverty in China once this program went underway. Now, let's look at Singapore. Okay, Singapore it was actually poorer than a lot of African countries. One, um, actually poorer than a lot of African countries at one point, and because of um, Lee Kuan Yew and his, you know, he, I mean, he was he was kind of authoritarian himself, but um, under Lee Kuan Yew, it went from being the mo- it became the most developed country in Asia. Go look this up, and this will be in the description. Singapore is the most developed country in Asia according to the UN Human Development Index. And they have, and they're, I think they're the most, economically speaking, they're the most free country in the world, according to the Heritage Foundation. It's either Singapore Singapore or Hong Kong. But either way, they're pretty far up there. Now, again, Singapore's not a totally libertarian paradise. I mean, hey, they ban chewing gum and they have all sorts, and uh, I think same-sex marriage is still illegal in Singapore. And there's all sorts of authoritarian and just dystopian, or, uh, draconian laws in Singapore, but economically, they're pretty free. They're much freer than the United States is. Now, let's look at Africa. Now, there are a lot of people who say Africa is doing poorly right now because of, um, you know, because of the legacy of colonialism and all sorts of other things, and um, I'm, I'm not going to talk about that, right? I'm not going to talk about that right now, right now, but Botswana. Botswana has one of the highest living standards in in southern Africa and is doing pretty well compared to its immediate neighbors compared to South Africa and Zimbabwe you know they're they're uh, immediate neighbors and a lot of that is because of one economic freedom and promotion of the free market also because they're um the governments or the government in in, in Botswana is significantly less corrupt than the governments of South Africa and Zimbabwe for various reasons that we're not going to get into right now. Now, let's talk about the Japanese economic miracle after World War II, okay? So, Japan was absolutely devastated after World War II, you know, having the nukes dropped on them and having and all of their, pretty much, and most of their major cities having been firebombed to the ground. Or significant portions of these of their major cities haven't been firebombed to the ground, right? Within 
say a decade and a half, maybe two decades, they were able to rebuild and become one of the biggest powers in Asia, or one of the biggest economic powers in Asia. And a lot of this was due to uh, trade liberalization, free trade. And this was also, this was uh, something similar, something similar happened in uh, Germany, you know, something, uh, Germany actually went through a lot of the same thing, uh, you know, a lot of the major cities bombed to the ground, you know, the allies had occupied the place, and, you know, it was just in pretty rough shape. And then the West German government, you know, obviously this didn't happen in East Germany, but the West German government, actually, under Ludwig Erhard, uh, he's actually the uh, main driver behind the German economic miracle, um, or a miracle on the Rhine. But, um, so, a lot of this through, you know, promotion of the free market and promotion of, you know, trade liberalization lifted Germany up from the, uh, you know, the ruins of the Second World War, okay? Now, I'm going to get into a common criticism of capitalism, okay? A lot of people say, oh, capitalism, uh, oh, uh, slave labor and, you know, sweatshops are driven by capitalism and all sorts of things like that. Well, this is a very fucked up thing for me to say, and I'm sure a lot of you guys may not agree with me, but, I mean, look, in terms of, like, you know, people in the third world, in terms of, pe you know, people in sweatshops, okay, compared to all the other options they have, and compared to all the other employment options they have, being in a sweatshop, as fucked up as it is, and as, you know, deplorable as it is, that's probably the best option they have going for them. And there's an economic principle for this, I forget the name, but in the description box, it'll be in the description box, you know, when I, you know, compile all my notes and everything later. But, um, there's actually an economic term for this that, or economic principle for this that outlines or that demonstrates that when a country is first industrializing, yeah, labor conditions and, uh, yeah, labor conditions are going to be pretty shitty when a country is first developing and first industrializing. Then when the, then when technological advancement takes place and the country is, you know, fully industrialized and labor conditions will improve and, you know, there will be better there will be better working conditions in those countries. Um, another thing I want to get to, another com cr common criticism of capitalism that I often hear is that, um, is that capitalism is very, or is that capitalism um, drives environmental decay. Now this is interesting because um, a lot of the, most of the pollution of the world's oceans is because of third world countries. The evil white capitalist western countries, quote unquote, are not responsible for a lot of the pollution that, a lot of the pollution in the world's oceans. That's India, China, Bangladesh, a lot of these other countries that are polluting all the, the world's rivers and the world's oceans, okay? Now, I'm going to get to, um, the private sector. I'm going to get to the effectiveness of the private sector, okay? Listen, I touched on this earlier. It doesn't matter what form of government it is. It could be an actual authoritarian government, you know, Nazism, communism, doesn't matter. Democracy doesn't matter. All governments are corrupt, they're fucked up, and they ruin everything they touch. Now, governments destabilize entire regions and they cause other geopolitical issues. Now, Let's look at Libya, for example, when 
NATO intervened in Libya, you know, and assisted the Libyan rebels. Gaddafi even said, hey, if you get rid of me, there will be a hordes, or to paraphrase him, he said something along the lines of, hey, if you get rid of me, there will be hordes of African refugees flooding into Europe. And what do you see now? A lot of sub-Saharan, um, a lot of sub-Saharan Africans who tried to flee to Europe through uh, Libya, you know, could, or there were a lot of sub-Saharan Africans who tried to flee to Europe through Libya, and under the Gaddafi re regime, a lot of that was you know, nipped in the bud, a lot of that was shut down, but after Gaddafi was deposed and killed, what do we see now? Uh, we see all these, you know, re uh, refugees, or quote-unquote refugees, illegal immigrants more like, um, trying to get to Italy, and a lot of these, and these other European countries by boat from Libya. Um, like I said, a lot of the, and this, and this is, in Syria, something similar, um, there's a significant portion of, or a very significant portion of immigrants coming from Syria because of the civil war in Syria. And the civil war is exacerbated because of Western intervention. See, these, um, what you understand is these issues, these civil wars don't, um, political instability in a, in a country doesn't just affect that country or the immediate, uh, the immediate geographical region. It affects, it has far-reaching effects around the world, okay? Now, something I want to get into is, uh, private military contractors, okay? There are actually more private military contractors, you know, private you know, companies, you know, mercenaries, quote unquote, whatever you want to call them, there are more of the more of them in Afghanistan right now than actual government soldiers. Okay, and something similar back in America, there are actually more private security guards in the United States than there are police officers. Okay, I'm not saying to denigrate the military or the police, but listen, there are only so many soldiers, there are only so many police officers, they can't be everywhere. So I'm all for promoting private private uh, security and private defense corp corporations, okay? I am all for it. And I'm sure there are probably some poindexters in the comments section who are going to say, oh, well, yeah, these private companies aren't accountable to anyone. Uh, what's going to stop them from committing all sorts of atrocities and all sorts of things like that? Well, listen, do you really think, do you really think having actual government soldiers do these things are going to be any different? Like, yeah, I'm not denigrating the military here, but come on. Soldiers of governments all throughout history have committed all sorts of atrocities and done and violated all sorts of human rights and done all kinds of fucked up shit throughout history. So, listen, if these people are going to do, if these people are going to commit atrocities and commit all sorts of human rights violations, it would be better if they didn't do it on the taxpayer's dime, okay? Send the troops home, man. Send, send the freaking troops home, man. But anyway... Another thing I want to get into, and this 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 is something that that that, uh, that I'm somewhat passionate about, you know, being a minority is education. Okay, minority children do better in charter schools and in homeschooling, or you know, through homeschooling, than they do in government schools. A lot, a lot of these, man, a lot of these government schools are just freaking atrocious, man. I mean, if it's not, if you don't hear about um, if you don't hear about teachers molesting kids or some other shit like that, it's you know some. Some shit about the school boards, or, or these schools misappropriating money. These schools just you know, 
trying to artificially inflate test scores just to get money and you know all sorts of you know all just all sorts of incompetence and just bureaucratic bullshit. Like now, if I had a child, I mean, I'm, I don't have I don't have any children, but if I did have a child, you know, I'd either put him in charter school or you know, more than likely, I would just I would just homeschool my kids. Because I'm not going to put him in these Marxist indoctrination camps so he can learn all kinds of anti-Western bullshit. But, and, just on the topic of homeschooling, man, like, if you're that worried, like, if you're apprehensive about homeschooling and you're that worried about your children being able to socialize or not being able to socialize or whatever, like, just put your kids in a freaking sport, man. Like, put put them in a sport or some other kind of activity where they're around other kids their age if you're that worried about your kids not being able to socialize. This brings up a really funny story for you guys. I'm gonna, here's a personal anecdote for you guys, so... When I was in high school, I, um, I just really hated going to school. I really hated the school I went to. So I kind of had the idea, you know what, maybe, what if I try homeschooling? So I, I, I kind of threw the idea out there to my mom. And she said, oh, no, 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 you can't, you can't go to, you can't be homeschooled because you'll grow up to, you won't be, or it's a good thing we didn't put you in homeschool. Or we, it's a good thing we didn't homeschool you. Because you would have grown up to be a serial killer because you wouldn't know how to socialize. I shit you not. She literally said I would have been a serial killer because I would not know how to socialize because I was in homeschool. It, and another, you know, it's interesting because um, one of my one of my best friends, right, where I used to live in North Carolina, he, he actually, he had, he had, I'm not saying this to make fun of him, but he had pretty shitty grades when he was in school. He just really didn't, he was just having a really rough time when he was in school, man. And, um. Uh, what would have been my 10th grade year? He was a year behind me. So what would have been his ninth grade year? He, he started homeschooling. He, and from, from what he said and from what his mom said, he, he did, he, he was getting straight A's in all his classes. He did really good, you know, when he was homeschooled and, you know, he's, and he's more of a social person than I am. But I mean, I guess part of that is just because, you know, he wasn't, I guess to throw these people a bone here, these idiots who are like all apprehensive about homeschooling because of the socialization thing, I guess that may have been because he wasn't homeschooled for most of his life or whatever, but uh, look, I'm uh, whatever, man, I, I don't get the, this episode is not about homeschooling, so I'm not going to get into that right now. So another thing I'm, I'm going to get into is, so on the topic of education, another thing I want to get into is colleges, Okay. So, colleges are more expensive now because of, um, or what a lot of people don't understand, there are some people who know it, but what a lot of people don't understand is that college is a lot more expensive because of government subsidies. The price actually, the price of higher education, the price of college classes is directly related to the amount of government subsidies that a lot of colleges have gotten. College is more expensive because of government involvement. And this is going to be the same thing with healthcare. Listen, I mentioned this before. The, the U.S. spends more than any other developed country on healthcare. And healthcare is still very expensive. And I would argue a lot of that is because of government subsidies. But again, a lot of the uh, you know Marxist idiots in our society don't understand that. Because basic math isn't their strong suit. Basic math and reasoning is not their strong suit. Now... This is something I found very, uh, I found very interesting. You know, I'm sure you guys have heard of that, uh, that language learning app Duolingo, right? You know, the app where you can learn Spanish, Russian, German, all sorts of other languages. More, more school age kids are actually learning languages through 
learning other languages through Duolingo than through actual school programs, which I think is awesome. This just shows the effectiveness of the private sector and the free market and what wonders the free market is capable of, okay? Much more so than, you know, any much more so than anything in the public sector, anything that the government can do. And on that topic, I'm going to get to um I'm going to get to the the I'm going to talk about the private sector, okay? The private sector is responsible for much of the, technolo the technological advancement that we see today. For most of the technological advancement we see today, the private sector is why we enjoy the standard of living that we live that we enjoy today. It's not because of the government that we have that we have these things. It, it listen, it's private companies that develop cell phones. It's private companies that develop more sophisticated technology for cell phones and the internet and uh, cars, you know, more environmentally friendly cars. Um, you know, again, it is all because of the private sector. The government has very little role in this. Listen, and this is especially another interesting thing that uh, this kind of goes back to the whole in capitalism, the whole claim that the claim that capitalism is responsible for all for environmental decay. Economically free countries, you know, more economically free countries produce less environmental pollution and produce less environmental pollution than quote unquote, you know, than, you know, less economically free countries. Again, it's not the evil white Western capitalist countries that are polluting the oceans. All right. It is the, you know, not economically free, you know, third world shitholes that produce all all the um all the pollution or the vast majority of the pollution in the world's oceans and you know in the in the air and all sorts of other things so to sum every to put everything in a nice little bow for you guys all right listen government is a is inherently immoral i don't want to hear anything about capitalism inherently immoral okay capitalism is all about choice capitalism is voluntary Government coercion or the government forcing you to buy a product or the government forcing you to do things is the most inhumane thing of all. It is a de believing in government is the deadliest ideology in the world, okay? No matter who it doesn't matter if it's democracy, authoritarian, you know, communism, socialism or or uh, national socialism or or you know, military dictatorship, it doesn't matter. All governments are corrupt, they're all fucked up and they're all immoral. And the sooner we learn that, the better. So yeah, what do you guys think? Uh, hit me up in the comments. Subscribe. Um, follow me. On, follow me on SoundCloud and all the other um, outlets that this podcast is on. And if uh, if you have any topics that you would like me to talk about, that you would like me to address, uh, I'll look over them. And if it's a topic worth talking about that I feel is worth talking about, I'll uh, I'll talk about it. I'm truly interested to hear you guys' input. So, peace.